Well, if you know anything about guitar amplifiers, then you know they only go up to 10. All the knobs only go up to 10. So the maximum volume is 10. And if you know anything about the movie This Is Spinal Tap, then you know that one scene where Nigel, the guitarist, explains that his guitar amplifier actually goes up to 11. So here's the dialogue as Nigel explains to Marty, the documentary filmmaker who is interviewing him. Nigel explains to Marty how the band's amplifiers all go up to 11. So Nigel says, the numbers all go to 11. Look, right across the board, 11, 11, 11, and? And then Marty interrupts him and says, oh, I see. And most amps go up to 10? Nigel says, exactly. Marty then says, does that mean it's louder? Is it any louder? Nigel says, well, it's one louder, isn't it? He actually says it like, well, it's one louder, isn't it? It's not 10, you see. Most, most blokes, you know, will be playing at 10. You're on 10 there, all the way up, all the way up, all the way up. You're on 10 on your guitar. Where can you go from there? Where? And Marty says, I don't know. And Nigel says, nowhere. Exactly. What we do is, if we need that extra push over the cliff, you know what we do? Marty says, put it up to 11. And Nigel says, 11. Exactly. One louder. And then Marty asks a great question. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that number a little louder? And then there's this long pause and Nigel says, these go to 11. Where am I going with that? (laughs) What we're going to see today in God's Word is a bunch of churches in Macedonia turned their giving up to 11. These churches in Macedonia didn't just give financially and stop at 10. They went up to 11 in their giving, one louder. Now, you may be uncomfortable right now because I just said the G word, didn't I? Giving. You may be thinking, here's another preacher who's going to preach about giving money, money, money. That's all preachers preach about. That's all churches care about. They're always asking for money, always talking about giving. Well, I'm not going to preach about giving today. I'm not going to preach about money today. And I'm not going to ask for your money either. You're safe, okay? Today, we're going to talk about the other G word. Grace, because that's what this passage is all about, the grace of God. And we're going to see that from a passage that people think is about money. But it's not really a passage about money or giving or offering plates or tithing or building campaigns or stewardship or Dave Ramsey's The Total Money Makeover. It's not really about that stuff at all. So turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And yes, preachers do come here to 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 to preach about money and tithing and giving and stewardship and money makeovers. But these passages are, are not even speaking about those issues primarily. The big idea of 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 is that God's grace should change us change our hearts 
so that we get reoriented in the way that we live and the way that we love one another. And so, yes, these chapters can apply to giving, and Paul will talk about giving, but as we'll see, the underlying motive for giving, or for any ministry that we do in church, the underlying motive should be a response to the grace of God, the unmerited favor of God given to us hell-deserving sinners. It's a response to God's kindness that we do not deserve Him. We do not deserve forgiveness. We are born sinners and rebels. We have scoffed at God. We have mocked Him. We have lived opposite of His ways. We've lived like we are the king of the entire universe and that maybe we could take God down if He was having a bad day. And God comes to people like that enemies and rebels. I want to challenge his authority. And he says, I'm going to give my son for you. And I'll forgive you and adopt you into my family. And when that stuff seeps into your pores, it begins to change the way you look at other people, people that you might even consider an enemy. The gospel is what stirs our hearts for ministry. Not guilt, not shame, not the preacher getting up here and saying, y'all aren't giving enough. None of that. It's the gospel that should stir our hearts. So what we're going to see in these verses today is that grace turns your heart for others up to 11. God's grace, his favor, his kindness to you in Christ should turn your heart for other people up to 11. So what I mean is that the joy that comes to us as a result of God's grace to us in Christ should result in ministry to other people, loving and caring for other people. So in essence, we're called to copy the grace that we have received from God and then pass it on to others, even the people we don't like, especially the people we don't like. Listen, when you realize just how good God has been to you. And you don't deserve it. And neither do I. When you realize how good God has been to you in his son, it should make you want to love and care for other people empowered by his grace. Now, if you're like me, it's hard to love people, especially people that you don't like or don't like you. And so you need power You need the Holy Spirit to help you because you can't do it in your own strength. You've tried, I've tried, we've failed. You need the Spirit. God's grace should make our hearts turn up to 11. We should be like Nigel in this is spinal tap and say, yes, other people may turn their hearts up to 10, but because of Jesus, my heart goes up to 11. Now, here's what's so crazy about all of this. Paul never uses the word money in chapters 8 and 9. Think about that, because a lot of preachers suddenly get interested in the book of 2 Corinthians when they start a new building campaign, usually ignoring chapters 1 through 7 to just plop down in chapter 8 because they want to talk about giving. But Paul never even uses the word money in these chapters. He alludes to it, of course, because he's talking about an offering that's being taken up 
Paul never uses the word money in these two chapters, and he's certainly not thinking about building campaigns. But he does use the word grace a lot. Paul spills a lot of ink on the word grace. Grace is all over these two chapters. In fact, Paul uses the word grace ten times in chapters 8 and 9. In chapter 8, in verse 1, verse 4, verse 6, verse 7, verse 9, verse 16, verse 19. And then in chapters 9, he uses it in verse 8, verse 14, and verse 15. Now, the word grace, charis, depending on the context, can be translated uh, many ways. One is divine enablement or power, meaning you need grace. His grace is sufficient for you. You need power. It's divine favor, what God has shown us, unmerited favor. It's a human privilege. We're going to look at that use today. Uh, It's a monetary gift. And it's a word of gratitude. And Paul will use a few of those examples in our chapters today when he talks about grace. Okay, let's get into the text. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Look at verse 1 and hear the word of the Lord. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So Paul wants to pass on to the Corinthian church the evidence of God's grace that came to these churches in Macedonia. And those churches included churches like Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea. And Paul tells the Corinthians about this in order to stimulate them to contribute financially to the suffering church in Jerusalem. So in other words, here's what happened when the grace of God came to the churches in Macedonia. They got wind that believers in Jerusalem were suffering, and so they pulled their resources together to help their brothers and sisters in Christ. And now Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, and he's saying, I want you to do the same. But here's what's amazing about the Macedonian churches. What was happening in Macedonia when they passed the offering plate? In verse 2, Paul says that God's grace dug deep into their hearts, so they dug deep into their wallets during what? A severe test of affliction. The Macedonian churches were undergoing severe persecution for their faith because they followed Jesus. They, They were suffering intensely, and yet when they heard that some churches in Jerusalem were suffering and were suffering financially, They gave money to these poor churches in Jerusalem. So in the middle of this intense suffering, they sent money via PayPal to Jerusalem. Now let me ask you, how would you react if they came in here and dragged away the pastoral staff and a few other church members and threw us in jail? What would be on your mind? What would be the concern of your heart? If you're like me, I would be thinking, how can I survive? And what's going to happen to my family? But not the Macedonian churches that were in Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea. They weren't merely concerned about themselves. They were also concerned about the suffering church 
in Jerusalem. Severe persecution broke out and they passed the offering plates. Who does that? People who have experienced the grace of God, that's who. People who have rubbed the gospel into their pores, that's who. Now, even more so these days, people are talking a lot about how suffering and persecution may intensify in America in the coming years. But you know, we've been talking about that for a long time, haven't we? And it may come, what do I know? But when I think about that idea of severe persecution coming to America, I want to think thoughts that are informed by this passage. Not what I think is going to happen, but by this passage. I want to think thoughts like, okay, well, Jesus did say that we would suffer, but what if we passed the offering plate when we were suffering? What if, as we suffered, we reached deep into our pockets to help out poor Christians? That's what the Macedonians did when they were suffering persecution. Listen, when you hear people talking about how persecution is on the way, don't panic. Don't freak out. I mean, we have loads and loads of stories in the Bible of how God's people suffered and God came and helped every single one of them, didn't he? In some way. Some of them were sawn in two, as Hebrews 11 says, but they're going to experience resurrection. I'm not trying to make light of it. But don't panic and don't freak out. Just think to yourself, if that happens, if persecution really comes to America and they start rounding up Christians and chopping their heads off and throwing them in jail, start thinking, I bet the Holy Spirit is going to move through the church and cause people to give financially to help other poor Christians. I bet some Christians will lose their jobs because of their beliefs, but I bet the church will step up and buy groceries for one another and share their cars and help each other teach their children school. I bet the gospel is going to cause people's hearts for others to turn up to 11 if the world turns the heat up on the church. Listen, the same Spirit of God that was at work in the churches in Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea and all over Macedonia, the same Spirit of God that was at work in those churches when they endured intense suffering, He will be at work in our churches if we undergo the same thing. There is no need to be worried or scared. Let me say it again. There is no need to be worried or scared. What's the worst they can do to us? Kill us? And then what? Do we only believe in Easter? I mean, the resurrection on Easter? Right? You know, I have this, this uh, board member with Converge. It's our denomination. And uh, he, he'll call me occasionally, you know, and say, hey, how are things going? You know, so-and-so. And he goes, listen, the worst they can do is eat you. <laughs> it's like, okay, that is true, Right? The worst they can do is put us in jail and kill us, but we believe in the resurrection. Listen, there's no need to be worried or scared about what will happen in the future. Let's not stress about how churches might undergo persecution. Instead, let's focus on what the Holy Spirit is going to do when His people and when His church suffer. Do you think the Spirit of God is just going to sit back and do nothing? He loves the church more than all of us combined. 
He will take care of us. He will take care of you. He will take care of your family. If you get thrown in jail or if you get killed because you follow Jesus, we're going to be all right, y'all. The Spirit of God has got this. Let's trust Him. Let's not worry about the future. Instead, let's focus on present needs. Like, who can we bless right now? Who needs our help? Who can we love? Who can we support? Who can we come alongside and encourage? But the Macedonian churches weren't just undergoing severe persecution and trials. They were also dirt poor. Paul says that they were experiencing extreme poverty. They were destitute. But Paul adds a further clarification here. He says that their poverty was extreme or down to the depth or ever deeper poverty or rock bottom poverty, as one commentator explains it. But even though they were dirt poor and even though they had hit rock bottom poverty, they were rich with joy. Paul says they had an abundance of joy. The Greek word, therefore, abundance means to overflow the set boundaries. Like your morning cup of coffee has a set boundary in your cup, right? Now, you may be half asleep as you pour it and go over the set boundaries, right? Or maybe you want to get as much as you can. You want to, as the old commercial used to say, fill it up to the rim with what? Great tasting brim. Some of you remember that marketing works, doesn't it? I don't think brim tasted that great though, didn't it? I think it was instant coffee. Their abundance of joy overflowed the set boundaries. It got turned up to 11, one louder. Their joy, as they suffered, went up to 11. It exceeded any set boundaries that they have. What Paul is saying is that the joy of the Macedonian churches overflowed these boundaries. But what kind of boundaries might they have? Well, think about it. They were undergoing severe persecution and suffering, and they were dirt poor, and yet their joy in God knew no boundaries, no fences, no limits. It went all the way up to 11. Now, we would expect them to have zero joy, right? How can you have joy when, number one, you are being severely persecuted, and number two, you're dirt poor? When you hear that people are being persecuted and put in jail and maybe even killed for Jesus, and then you add to the fact that you haven't eaten a square meal in days because you're so poor, how in the world can you have overflowing the set boundaries turn up to 11 kind of joy? How in the world is that possible? The answer is grace because of the gospel. Your joy can overflow when you are suffering because you have experienced God's grace in Christ because the Holy Spirit regenerated you and made you alive when you were in darkness, when you were in chains, absolutely incapable of saving yourself, and He came and saved you. And now your sins are forgiven. You're justified. You've been adopted into the family of God. You have a good, good Father And you cling to the hope of the resurrection. That's how your joy can overflow. Even when you suffer and even when you are dirt poor. When you rub God's grace 
into your pores. You will love and care for others even as you suffer, even when you hit rock bottom poverty. The churches in Macedonia want to remind the churches in Santa Maria that grace turns your heart for others up to 11. That's what happened in Macedonia. Think about it. Severe affliction plus abundance of joy plus extreme poverty resulted in what? A wealth of generosity. Wow. I could see if they just had an abundance of joy that they might want to be generous. But then you throw in severe affliction and extreme poverty and you realize that grace is the only reason any of this happened. And the same Greek word translated as abundance is also used here to describe their overflowing wealth of generosity. Their generosity was turned up to 11 just like their one. So they went to their amplifier and they said generosity This one goes up to 11. Joy, this one goes up to 11. And so all of these elements combined, extreme poverty, severe persecution, overflowing joy, and what did it produce? Overflowing wealth of generosity. God's grace came down and got into the nooks and crannies of their hearts, and then their joy in God went up and their generosity went out to their brothers and sisters in Christ. And then... And then, i got to take a drink for this one. And then they started begging Paul and company to give even more. They started begging. Can we please give, please? Usually preachers are the ones begging, right? Please, we need y'all to give. Okay? They were the ones who were saying, Paul, you're the preacher. We're begging you. Can we give more and more to our suffering brothers and sisters in Christ in Jerusalem? That's wild. Look at verse 3. For they, that's the Macedonian churches, they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So how did the Macedonians give? Well, we'll see five ways that they give in verses 3 and 5. Number one, they gave according to their means. They gave as they could. They didn't give their whole paycheck to the church. Some people gave $5, some gave $500, some gave $5,000. People gave what they could. Secondly, Paul says they gave beyond their means. Not only did they give what they could, but then they dug in and they gave just a little bit more. They didn't settle with some Western American evangelical percentage. They even went beyond the percentage that most people said they should give. Third, Paul says they gave of their own accord. They gave because they wanted to give, because they were touched by the gospel of grace. No one had to hogtie them or browbeat them or guilt them or pressure them or make them cry uncle. Paul didn't have to beg them to give. They gave because they wanted to. By the way, we will never guilt you into giving here. We're not about that at all. We want you to give of your own accord. We haven't even passed the offering plate in over a year, right? Because of COVID. And y'all have been faithful, right? God has been faithful. And so what we'll do now is we'll just, we're not going to do the, go back to the offering plates anymore. We're just going to give as we go 
or as we enter in those little boxes back there. You can use the church app. You can still write a check and send it in. But we're just going to kind of give as we go. But please don't ever give here if you feel like you've been guilted or had your arm twisted. I hope, I hope you don't think, well, he's just talking about giving and saying he's not twisting our arms, but we know what he's doing. I'm not doing that at all. I want you to give here and to other ministries because you want to. We don't want to ever guilt you into that. Give because you are so overwhelmed that God has given you so much in Christ. And then Paul says, fourthly, he says, they gave and were begging earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. They actually begged Paul to give. The word favor is the word grace here. Here it means privilege. They begged for the privilege or opportunity of giving. Wow. Like they were texting Paul and saying, when are you going to get the church app up? Because we got more money to give. John Piper gives great insight here. He says, the Macedonians have discovered the labor of Christian hedonism, love. It is the overflow of joy in God which gladly meets the needs of others. That's a perfect description of what happened in the churches in Macedonia. Love is the overflow of joy in God which gladly meets the needs of others. Their joy in God overflowed the set boundaries and then their love for others did the same and got turned up to 11 and then they gladly met the needs of the suffering church in Jerusalem. And that's why any of us should give to this church or any ministry. Our love for Jesus and all that he has done for us should make our hearts overflow with joy so that our love overflows to gladly meet the needs of others. And I hope that's why you give here. When you write a check or use the church app or stick some money in that box, I hope it's, you know what, you're thinking, Jesus, you have been so good to me. I have to give. Give here because your heart for Jesus has turned up to 11 and because you love and care for others. Now, here's the crazy thing. In the gospel, Jesus turned the heart of God up to 11 for us, and that's why we give, right? Now, of course, we give because the Bible commands us to give, right? It tells us we should give, and we give ultimately because we want God to be glorified, right? We want His kingdom to be extended into this world. But listen, God does not need our money. Jesus doesn't need your money at all, okay? In fact, it's not even our money, is it? It all belongs to God, right? He lets us keep most of it. How kind of him. But God doesn't need our money. God doesn't need us. God doesn't need anything. He doesn't need anything from us. He is self-sufficient in and of himself. The theological term is aseity. It means that he is independent of his creation. He has no needs whatsoever. God does not need us at all. So we don't give financially to churches as if God needs us, as if he's up there saying, please give today, please. We give because people need us. We give because people need to be loved and cared for. We give because we love people and people need Jesus. We don't give here just to have a nice 
building, nice property, two big buildings on a nice, a really, this is a sweet location, right? We're right on a roundabout. How many people drive past Grace every single day? We have a sweet spot, two very big buildings that you've given towards and filled them, and God uses these places, and the, our property is great. Praise the Lord, right? But we don't give here just to have a building, As if any of us would come in here and say, oh my, pastor, look at your pulpit. What a unique grain of wood. It's in the smooth texture. Ooh, I just love this pulpit. And these walls, these walls are just exquisite, simply divine. And don't get me started on the carpet either, pastor. Don't get me started on the carpet. It's not about a building. It's about people. It's about people so that James and Tiffany and the youth staff can minister to our students who are being bombarded with the world on social media and schools and everywhere they go. We give here so that Michelle and Paula and all those who teach Sunday school to our children can teach them about Jesus. We give so that Randy and Cindy Georgie and all the Iwana leaders can teach our kids the word of God on Wednesday night. We give so that all the Sunday school teachers who are involved here and leaders of small group can minister God's grace to people who come. We give so that 30 women will cram into a house for a summer Bible study on the book of Titus. That's happening right now. Aslan is on the move. We give so that people can be ministered to. So this passage is not really about giving primarily, is it? It's not really about money at all. It's about people. The Macedonian churches gave because they loved and cared for their brothers and sisters in Christ in Jerusalem. So this passage is really not about our wallets, it's about our hearts. It's not really about what's in your wallet. It's about what's in your heart. That was cheesy, wasn't it? (laughs) When I typed in, I was like, this is so cheesy. (laughs) Oh, well. But notice the last phrase in verse 4. They wanted to take part in the relief of the saints. It's literally the fellowship of the ministry of the saints. That's the Greek word koinonia for fellowship, right? That's like one of the very first Greek words you learn as a Christian, right? Koinonia, fellowship. They begged uh, to take part in the relief of the saints, the fellowship of the ministry of the saints. They gave because they knew that they were connected to the suffering Jerusalem church, that they were in fellowship together, that they were a family, even though they lived in different locations, so they begged part to take they begged Paul to take part in providing some financial relief to their brothers and sisters in Christ. And then lastly Paul says they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. I think this means that they were committed to giving in their local church first. First to the Lord. I think he means, you know what? You gave to your home church in Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea and then you gave to Paul and company, because we're missionaries that you're supporting. You gave to your home church, and then you supported missionaries. We'll look at verse 6 now. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, 
and speech and knowledge in all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. So Paul sent Titus to encourage the Corinthians to continue their plan of giving, what he calls here an act of grace, meaning the privilege of giving to the suffering Jerusalem church. Paul actually mentions this offering back in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1. He says, you're starting to take up this offering. So he mentions it there, and he sends Titus to say, this thing that you started a while ago, let's bring it to completion. Then Paul points out how blessed the Corinthians were. Listen, they were a gifted church. They excelled in all kinds of gifts. Paul mentions them here. Faith and speech and knowledge and earnestness and love. I mean, the the pastors there who took over after Paul were great speakers. They knew the Old Testament very well. They were earnest, full of love. All of those things, they had turned up to 11. But now Paul wants them to turn their giving up to 11 and complete this offering that was being taken up for those in Jerusalem. In fact, once again, we see the same word here, overflowing the set boundaries, two times in this verse. The Corinthians had excelled, Paul says, that is, they had overflowed the set boundaries in all kinds of gifts, faith, knowledge, earnestness, love. But now Paul wants them to excel or overflow the set boundaries in giving. He's saying, y'all have all kinds of giftings in your church that are turned up to 11. 11, 11, 11, 11. Now, turn your giving up to 11, two, one louder. And what would ever cause anyone to turn their hearts up to 11 for other people? It's grace. Because guilt and fear and legalism cannot generate this kind of big-hearted giving. giving only Man, my southernness just came out there, didn't it? Can't generate this kind of big-hearted giving. Can't generate this kind of big-hearted giving. I love to drop my G's. Only great love created by God's overwhelming grace can. And when you meditate on all that Jesus has done for you, you'll find your heart moving out toward other people. Why? Because grace turns your heart for others up to 11. Jesus can turn your heart for others up to 11 today. So let me ask you, because I'm sure these questions will land on all of us, if we're honest. Who do you need to love today? Who do you need to care for? Who do you need To serve? Who has the Spirit been nudging you to love? Who do you need to turn your volume up to 11 for? And maybe it's for someone that really bothers you. My prayer for this church, for this church family, is that we would be so overwhelmed with the grace of God that we love and care for each other. And I think we do that really well here. Y'all do that really well. Really, really, really well. But let's keep at it. Let's keep the gospel fresh so that the knobs on our hearts go all the way up to 11. I want Jesus to look down on us, look down on Grace Baptist, and explain to some angel, these these people, they go to 11. So imagine a conversation, if you will, between Jesus and some random angel, because we know from 1 Peter 1.12, the angels long to look into the gospel, right? 
They long to look into it. So maybe they ask Jesus questions sometimes. So imagine a conversation between Jesus and some angel because the angel has asked Jesus, how in the world does the gospel, what you did for these people, how does it change human hearts? Tell me again, Jesus. So imagine Jesus and an angel looking at us at 605 East McCoy. And they're having a conversation and an angel says, so Jesus, most human hearts go to 10 And Jesus says, exactly, most go up to 10, but where can you go from there? Where? And the angel says, I don't know. And Jesus says, nowhere, exactly. What we do is if we need that extra push over the cliff, you know what we do? And the angel says, put it up to 11. And Jesus says, exactly, one louder. These hearts go up to 11. I want Jesus to look down on us and say to an angel, these go to 11. At Grace Baptist Church of Santa Maria, their hearts go to 11. Their hearts are gospel-centered. They love and care for others, and they go one louder in their love. Now think about this. Who wouldn't thrive in a church environment like that? Who wouldn't thrive in a church family where you feel loved and cared for because everyone's hearts are turned up to 11? That's what we're shooting for here at Grace, by God's grace. And we do it all for his glory because on the cross, Jesus turned his heart up to 11. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your great love for us. Such a mystery and so overwhelming that you would take the blame for our sin on the cross and you would credit us with your righteousness, your perfect life, that you died for us. It's amazing and it never gets old and we need to preach it to our hearts and we need to refresh it, Jesus, but we love it. It's everything to us. Holy Spirit, we ask you to just keep stuffing the gospel down into our hearts so that we love and care for people, even people that we don't like or don't like us. Help us to love and care for one another here in this family. And other churches in town and the missionaries that we support around the world. We do this all for your glory, Jesus. Give us your grace. In your name we pray. Amen.